0: Love Talk Radio Hey churches, church groups, auxiliaries, pastors We want to hear from you If you and your ministry have got what it takes To be contestants on the new Christian Game Show Just say the word Here's what we want you to do Check out www.masterstylemedia.com forward slash gospel TV. This is where you can find details and information about this hot new Christian game show that's going to help unite the body of Christ by seeing what you know about the word and challenging you to learn more. We're calling on everybody, ushers, the mothers board, deacons, servants. We want to hear from you. Again, www.masterstylemedia.com Forward slash gospel TV. If you and your church have got what it takes to be contestants on Just Say the Word, we want to hear from you. Come on and check us out. God
1: bless. This is Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, inviting you to our 16th Black Wall Street Economic Summit Saturday, July 9th, from 8:30 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple at 809. East 42nd place in Chicago. All eyes on the district as we address parity on contracts. RSVP by calling 312-624-8351. Thank you.
0: Register today for the 2011 Black Wall Street USA National Convention and have a chance to win a seven-day Caribbean cruise, including airfare and accommodations. Trip arranged by a TravelMoment.com. Representatives from 27 Black Wall Street districts from around the nation will convene on Gary, Indiana from October 21st to the 23rd at the Genesis Convention Center. This year's theme is Make Me a World. To have a chance to win this seven-day Caribbean cruise, you must register online at blackwallstreetdistrict.com. That's blackwallstreetdistrict.com.
2: Kosher, why well, we can't go outside and play today? Baby, because there's too much happening out there. We got misguided people in this world who turn to violence and use guns. And sometimes innocent people like you and me get caught in the middle of it. Well, what's wrong with them? Baby, I don't know. They need changing in lot. lives. Oh. You see, I'm tired of reading these TV screens and headlines on to Show that they dreams dead child on to play ride. But they can't cause the block filled with gunfire. Ain't no name on them bullets when they take flight. And so we're praying as God for a safe night, right? This is getting wild out here. Should no parent ever have to lose their child out Poor black, white, man, woman, still it affects you. Violence ain't racist. Death committed faces, complacent. Till it hits home, that's when you taste it. And all of these murders and numbers unheard of, for reasons unheard of, account for a third of crimes just committed. You hear, but do you feel it now? Me and my people stand strong until they get it. Tell the streets to put the thumbs down. Let's build a foundation here on common ground. You know that we won't stop until that peace is found. Gotta cry through the night, can you hear that sound? Don't play this, in ain't part of the problem It takes people in positions to get together and starve In one city, one state, one nation, one voice And the victory is ours, if you can make one choice oh, Why can't we live here in peace? That peace is what we need Why don't we?
3: You're listening to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, June 9th, 2011. We are broadcasting from the office of the South Street Journal in Chicago, and it's wintertime here. Really, it is wintertime here. I'm Sonia Cassandra Perdue, founder of CBBN, author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, book one, 2010, and your co-host for this evening's show. Our host, Mr. Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and publisher of the South Street Journal, will be joining us shortly. Tonight's show is all about authors and writers. Mr. L. Wynn, author of A Pimp and a Hustler, will be joining us in a short while. Our title for tonight's show is, What Has a Pimp and a Hustler Got to Do with Economics? By the way, Mr. Wynn is a member of Black Wall Street Chicago. We know that we're going to get some different responses to that question, and we we want to hear yours here tonight. Authors, call in. We want to know about you, your book or soon-to-be book, your upcoming book signings. Share everything with us right here on Blog Talk Radio with our audience. Last night it was over at the Harold Washington Cultural Center here in Chicago, located at 47th and King Drive, for a town hall meeting hosted by Minister Louis Farrakhan and I met a young lady named Ms. Sandra Chambers, a author, and we're hoping that she will call in this evening, kind of short notice. But her book is Property Theft: Chicago Political Corruption Style. Chicago Political Corruption Style, and she made some pretty heavy allegations. Some heavy allegations against one of Chicago's leading political figures, but we're going to let her tell that story. I don't want to give that away. So I do hope that Sandra can call in tonight. If not, we're going to be sure to schedule schedule her, schedule her for another show. Uh, but authors and writers, this is your night. Call in. This is Black Wall Street USA. Our call in number is 347-326-9477. 347-326-9477. I think my tongue is cold. The chat room is open. Leave your company information and website links in the chat room. That's how we connect. Press the number one if you'd like to speak to our host, uh, our guest, or if you have a question or comment. We want to thank uh, last week's guests, which we were honored to have the Black Wall Street Youth Committee with us. That was their first show with us, and we look forward to having them back at least once a month. They're serious about the business of being in business. It's not a dance group. There's no twisting and shouting and jumping. It's a business organization. Let's bring on Ron Carter, the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, so that he can give us an update on what's going on with the Youth Committee and what's going on with Black Wall Street here in Chicago. Ron, welcome to the show.
1: Well, good evening, Sonya.
3: How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great.
1: Good, good. So it's uh, going on pretty good, still intense as we move forward to our uh, Summit uh, summit 16. I call it Sweet 16. I wonder if that can Mm -hmm. apply or not. Uh, So um, as you indicated, uh, our youth – are going uh, pretty intense, and our guest may be on the other line. Uh, Talk to yourself just for a minute.
3: You want me to talk to myself just for a minute? You're right, yeah, because our
1: guest has called in and indicated that he had some difficulties um, uh, with the line. Uh, Hopefully that he is okay. Okay. but our youth has, uh, are moving pretty diligent. Uh, matter of fact, you know what, our youth, you know, I'm an old school guy. Uh, you know, when it comes to rap, I call the guy uh, Gil Scott Heron, the late Gil Scott Heron as the master. Uh, but it just so happens our youth, they have an open mic every Monday night at Vons on 67 in Ashland, and it was my first time there in about two or three months, and I went there and they got this, uh, and the youth that's involved in Black Wall Street, they are into music, they are into their rap, but they we came together with the agenda that we want to move on getting them into business. And they came up with a name uh, for Black Wall Street Chicago Youth Empowerment Through Entrepreneurship, Yeti. That's what they're calling themselves. So we have our, our meeting this Monday right before they hit the open mic. And since that time, they have met twice. They have met twice. Uh, they met Tuesday. They met uh yesterday. And so they're moving very diligently and serious about youth as entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, one good thing about it, like I said, they had me rocking uh, Monday evening. I mean, they got this cut called uh, uh, Hollywood to Inglewood, Inglewood to Hollywood, and everybody was swaying in the audience, Inglewood to Hollywood. And so, I mean, it just sounds so great to me. I just got into the groove and one of our youth, um, Sean Kelvin, he was at our board meeting today and I just so happened to ask him, what does that mean? And so he broke it down to me is moving um ahead and being in the music industry. But again, what's so unique about these youth that they are good musicians, no, no, well, good rappers. They're into their music. They're very good in performing as well as their lyrics and their sound. But besides that, they see the seriousness of them as a people to engage themselves in business, empowerment through entrepreneurship. And so I'm very proud of them. I feel good about them. I have no doubt that they're going to take our agenda forward, uh, even to the point when we first started in May 19, 2007, youth was on the agenda. And since that time to now, I feel very uh, delighted and enthused that this group of youth is actually going to pull that agenda forward.
3: That's wonderful. Uh, If that is uh, original music that they're playing over there, We can get a copy, and we can certainly uh, highlight it here and on WJPCF in Chicago. I'd love to do that. So we could talk to Sean about that, a new Black Wall Street youth board member. Um, You listen to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Ron, let's do this. We have a caller on the line, and I believe he was on the line last week when we were having some technical difficulties, and he's from Georgia. Let's bring him on the line, and you and him can engage, because he is involved in youth. I believe this is who it is, and I'll see if I can get Mr. Wynn straight and get him to call on in. Erico 724, welcome to Wall Street USA. Are you there? Yes,
4: I am. How are you? I'm doing great.
3: Who's
5: who's on the line?
4: This is Coach Tyrone Dixon calling from the Homeboys Foundation. Uh oh, absolutely. In actually, actually, I'm in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I okay. am hosting a football camp down in Atlanta, Georgia, on this coming week, coming up. So I'm glad that you guys are talking about youth because we oh, are yeah. very,
1: very excited about our youth. Right. Now, what, what, give me your name again. My name is Coach Tyrone Dixon. Coach Tyrone Dixon. You know, Coach <laughs> – um, you know, I'm a newspaper publisher as well. And okay. I'm getting ready to uh, when our paper come out of South Street Journal, I got a special um edition that I'm writing a story regarding a coach here in Chicago from uh Hell Franciscan. He's a basketball coach though. Okay, okay. And so, well, hey, do we, a
4: spin do a spin on football.
1: <laughs> Well, yeah, we can definitely do that because, see, our youth here in Chicago, they are taking the position that they have to set an example for the nation.
5: And they have came
1: to that conclusion. So it's not just set an example for their peers as they walk down the streets of Chicago, but they have an agenda that they're going to be an example for the nation, and they want to influence other youth. In entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. so uh, the, the, the timing is good that you called in. So, what brought you on to us? Uh, so, you was on our program uh, or listening in last uh, last week. Yes, I was. I
4: was listening in last week and uh, uh, kind of drawn up some interest. Uh, actually, what we did was we had a football camp that we ran, uh, like I told you before, in Pennsylvania. We're branching out to other inner cities throughout the United States. We did one in the Bay Area last year in Oakland, California, and I had the opportunity of meeting uh, one of your people out there, uh, who's in charge in the Bay Area, and he kind of linked me in with you guys.
1: Oh yeah, so, uh, well, who, do you recall who that is?
4: His name is. Um, let me see. His name is Mike. I forget his his last name. It's Michael Carter. I'm sorry. Is actually Oh right. yeah,
1: that's our national um, uh, chairman of Black Wall Street.
4: That's exactly right. Yeah, Mike right, Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you
1: okay. met up with Michael,
4: huh? I'm, I met up with Michael, and uh, he was very, very instrumental in, in helping us facilitate the camp out there in Oakland, California. And uh, we're basically uh, in the process of branching out to other communities throughout the United States. We're doing one in Atlanta this year, and hopefully we can get to Chicago.
6: All right.
1: Well, that sounds great. So mm-hmm. what was your impression as you listened in on the program last week?
4: I thought it was, you know what, it's always good to hear our black youth and the excitement that they have and the ideas that they have. And I really thought that your questions about, you know, them uh, uh, looking on the past in the 60s, and uh, because back in the 60s, now I'm not that old, but I do remember a little bit of it, but back okay. in the 60s, our people had a mission. You know, they really, really had a mission of civil rights. They had a leader in following uh, Minister, Minister Malcolm X and also following, uh, Dr. King, and, and they really had a sense of purpose. And I think now the youth of today uh, are are starting to come around. They don't necessarily have that big of a a sense, but I think it's, it's really coming about even with the election of President Obama. You know, that was right. a positive thing. Uh, uh, we saw that we needed to get together, we needed to make that happen, and we did. We made that happen. And I think more and more uh, missions that come about, more and more purposes that come about, I think that'll help our youth, and I think you guys did an excellent job last week of kind of alluding to that and bringing that out.
1: Well, you know, uh, on May 19th, we had a uh, dialogue with Malcolm X. Okay. And our format for this dialogue with Malcolm X was to play some of his speeches,
5: and we mm-hmm. say, uh,
1: um inserts of his speech, and then we had dialogue about it. And then we went to another speech, and then we had dialogue again. So through the whole night, we were, you know, so it wasn't about people giving their own interpretation
5: of what Mm -hmm. Malcolm
1: X said or what Malcolm X thought or what he was about. It was in his own words
4: that we had this
1: dialogue. Now, Mm -hmm. with that in mind, this was ages from 15 years old to 77 years old. Um, that was the age range and it was equal throughout the age range of about 25 people They okay. had this dialogue. What's interesting that came out of it, and maybe you can kind of elaborate, uh, is that what they indicated is that they needed another voice such as a Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. As you working with youth, do you get that same sense of need from them, or do you get something else as far as the need? No, I get. I definitely get that need. I'm, I am a, a football coach of, 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 of over
4: 20 years of coaching experience. I've coached on just about every level in the United States, from high school, Division I, NFL. I've been, I've been all over the place. And what we see is guys that are coming out of high school, guys that are coming out of college, are looking for looking for actually a role model. They're looking for leadership. They're looking for guidance. They really, really are, okay? You've got guys who have come from single-family homes. Uh, they've been living with their moms most of their lives. They've been maybe great raised by their grandparents or grandmother in, in, in a lot of instances, and what they are looking for is a male model to kind of lead them and guide them in the right direction, and, uh, you know, it's just very, very sad in the NFL that we don't have that many head football coaches as black Americans, okay? We don't have that many. We have a few, okay? In, in the NBA, there's a whole lot more, but these guys really don't have that model. They don't have that person to look to to kind of guide them and show them how to go. So in my profession as a coach, I have to be – the dad, I got to be the teacher, I got to be the uncle, I got to be—I have to carry a lot of different hats for these guys. So I think uh, the question to answer your question is the fact that these guys are looking for guidance. They're looking for someone to to kind of show them the way,
1: you know, show now, them how to do things. You, and, and that Would you of thing. apply this as far as what they look for that role model as a one-on-one or? Again, I'm just trying to reflect on those youth when we was at this Malcolm X dialogue what mm-hmm. they indicated was more like they needed someone, a leader a a, a leader that would represent all of them. Right. And, and so I'm not for sure but there was uh for example, Louis Farrakhan was at a program yeah. last night. It Mm -hmm. was approximately about close to 1,000 people there here in Chicago listening to him on a particular issue. But Mm -hmm. when we look at the audience, it was basically people that were average 50 years old Uh and older.
5: Mm -hmm. But there
1: wasn't a younger representation of people Mm -hmm. there to listen. Plus that, you know, normally when you go to – See the minister. There's a charge, you know, for a mm-hmm. special occasion. But this okay. was a free event. But still, the youth was not present. They so, weren't. They weren't present there, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. is it, and if I can use Farrakhan as an example, or would you use him as example, as the most closest national leader that has a, an aggressive message? but yet the youth are not, <clears throat> you know. Uh, far, yeah, I mean, can you, can you help me out here? What do you feel? They're, 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 well, <laughs> well, to be honest with you, they, they,
4: they, the youth nowadays uh, probably really don't know who, and as great as he is, they don't know who Minister Farrakhan is. They really can't identify with him, okay? He's kind of uh, he, he's an icon, but he's kind of played out, all right? That's just like if you ask, uh, youth, who is I've asked I've asked a couple of my players who's
5: who's
4: uh who's Hank Aaron? I don't know, coach. Who 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 is that? <laughs> Hank Aaron? We you mean you don't know who Hank Aaron is, you know what I mean? But he he's kind of played out, you know. Yeah. He, he's got he's 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 over the hill. Who's Elgin Baylor? I don't know, coach. Who Elgin Baylor? Yeah, he was a great basketball player. I mean, one of the greatest. Who's Oscar Robinson? I don't know. I don't know who that is. But if you say a contemporary, Michael Jordan or or, or LeBron James. Oh, oh yeah, Coach. Yeah, we know who that is. Yeah, he's more contemporary. And Farrakhan, I think, as great as he was, he's kind of a he's kind of played out. Now, I think maybe the closest thing that maybe we can get to that maybe a TD Jakes. You know, he may be a guy that that, that people will know uh, that they can identify with. You know, he's coming down a little bit. Um, you know, uh, we we could say maybe Eddie Long, but I mean, you know, some things happened there. So, you know, we, you know you don't know how uh, the youth are going to react to that situation. But I think uh, you're exactly right. I think there needs to be a, a not a per se young, but a middle-aged person that the youth can connect to, that they can connect to and, and, uh, and identify with. And in my mind right now, the closest guy I can think of is probably T.D. Jakes. Mm. You know, so, or, hey, I mean, if you want to go to another level, President Obama. I mean, now that's that's a guarantee. You know, we can all all identify with with President Obama.
1: Right, yeah. most uh, definitely. But do you think that the youth understand how President uh, Barack Obama has to play politics, and do they understand the nature of politics in the dealing with Barack Obama?
4: Mm, no, I don't think they know all the dynamics Because, you know, Barack Obama is the president of the United States Which means he has to represent everybody, you know, uh, all the way across the board And I don't really think they the youth understand all, all of the, the ramifications All of the political things that go along with it um, You know, I I think that they understand the mission And I I think they understand the purpose that we were going to You know, the purpose was we were going to have the first black American African American president. You know, we were going to get him elected. That was that was the purpose. They understood that. They understood that purpose, and they okay. made that happen. And they made that happen uh, because it was a simple thing they could under. It was something that they could relate to. It was something that they can understand. Okay, but now if you want to go back into the history of things and you know talk to them about like like you were saying before Farrakhan and those type, I don't think that they can identify with that.
5: You know, right. It needs now to be,
4: it needs to be more of a contemporary voice.
1: Now I was, um, you know, we, we had the uh, Gil Scott Hanron uh, pass uh, last week, uh, so. Okay. And okay. Uh, And so I asked some of the young rappers um, about Gil Scott. You know, naturally, did they, some did, of the older rappers. <laughs> no, I mean some of the older rappers like uh, uh, P. Diddy, uh, 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 West, and. And some of those that's really into making a living in the industry, they Uh know who uh, Gil Scott Heron is. But some of the guys here on the street, I asked them about uh, Gil Scott. You know, they said, "Huh, who?" Right. I say, "Oh my God." (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know. (laughs) You know. And so, but um, yeah, there is a we see a gap and. now but we have our guests coming on in a little while. Okay. And, but in, in, in doing that, let me ask you because um uh Black Wall Street is a uh and our radio uh host and and producer Chicago's Black Business Network is about business. Um does is business in the conversation Among the youth That you work with mm-hmm. is, is, is it among Their conversation Is it something oh. Oh, That they uh, Are talking about Or going into business Or is there A certain direction That uh, you see That they tend To uh, Strive toward As far as Their future is concerned
4: well, basically what we're what we're trying to do in my profession is and I deal with a lot of athletes is we're trying to basically educate them as to uh some long-term goals, some long-term entrepreneurships, some long-term business type things because what we're seeing is a lot of guys, you know, the, the average NFL career only lasts about 3 years. So these guys are coming in, they're making this quick money, and they're spending it, spending it, spending it, and then when that career is over within three years, boom, they have nothing. They mm-hmm. have nothing. They have they have no they have no uh, probably some of them a lot of them do not have a degree, okay. Uh, they don't have they have not invested their money into business type things. They've got a couple cars. They may have a couple houses, but all that money that they had is, is basically gone. So we're in the process of trying to educate them. Put your money away. Let your money work for them. Work for you, uh, open up some businesses, buy some real estate, and those type of things. That's what we're basically trying to do. But coming out, they they really don't um, they really don't aspire to do that. You know, it's, it's more of a uh, it's more of a quick uh, quick quick fix type of deal. You know, mm-hmm. well, I'm gonna buy my mama house. I'm gonna give me a couple of nice cars. Me and my boys mm-hmm. are gonna hang out. We're gonna have a good time, and then that's mm-hmm. we're gonna live for the moment. We're gonna live for the right. moment. You know, okay. Well,
1: look, we're going to get ready to bring on uh, uh, Mr. L. Wynn, and I want you to hold on, listen in, and then during the course of the uh, conversation with uh, Mr. Uh, L. Wynn, definitely we want you to uh, uh, jump right back in the conversation. So, okay. So uh, hold on with us, and uh, Sonia.
3: You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonya Perdue. Uh, our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Let's bring on our guest for the evening, an author, the author of A Pip and a Hustler, Mr. Al Wynn. Mr. Wynn, welcome to the show.
7: Thank you. How you doing, Mr. Al Wynn? I'm all right, Mr. Carter. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great.
1: Um, We have uh, known of your presence now, I think, about going on three years now.
7: Three years, yes.
1: Right. And so when we first met, uh, you came to South Street Journal, and I believe you introduced your book before you introduced your business venture. And I don't think I... I knew what your business venture was, until maybe a little after that you were in you're in the construction field and not even just in the construction field that you uh, expired in other businesses as well.
5: Correct. So
1: now the title of your book, I have to always go to this here uh, introduction. I definitely want to give some background on you based on as we talk about your book. But we had a uh, Black Wall Street Summit, and I was, to be the chairman, I was coming up to make my remarks, and as soon as I walked in the room, it was a room full of people uh, in a social gathering, and as I was getting ready to walk to the middle of the floor to make my remarks, one of your assistants threw a book in my face, and I had this book. As I walked to the to the mic, and was going to begin to do my remarks, and as I was doing my remarks, I looked at the title of the book, and it said uh, a a pimp and a Hustle. And so when I made those remarks reading your book, it was very um, in time. Because Black Wall Street, Chicago, was birthed from the background of a pimp and a hustler. And that person was Malcolm X. Now I don't want to call you a Malcolm X or anything of that nature, but can you still relate to the what you have done doing this book even to the point of how you have carried on in your business venture. So, uh, where did this book come from, and what gave you that thoughts to even do it? How this came about?
7: Well, uh, the tempering hustler is the story of my life. As a young boy, I was kind of dragged into that temping thing. Uh,
5: what you call a, a young boy? Me? At what
7: age? 16, I ran away
1: you get from home. Drawn, you got drawn into a being a pimp
7: at 16 right. years old?
5: Right.
7: And from that, I, became, I learned how to hustle. And to tell you the truth, the hustling was mo- much more fun and much more greater than the pimping. I, I really didn't have too much time for them women. They were too slow. <laughs> I figured... When I learned how to hustle, I can make way more money than, them, and I proved that to myself through life. But uh, you know, I was a gambler. Uh, uh, a guy taught me how to shoot them dice, and I did it pretty good. And I made way more money than the woman that was giving me money. So now, let me, you, uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you. What is your age? My age now is seventy-seven.
1: Seventy-seven, and it was sixteen when you first started to be a a pimp. And as you graduated, is I don't know, is the term graduating into being a hustler is that appropriate? Right. Right. Wow. Okay. So um, now, just kind of jump a little bit, and then I want to come back. How long were you a pimp? And how long
7: were you a hustler? I'm still hustling. <laughs> you still a hustler? <laughs> I'm still hustling. hustler. I, I own unity unique contractors, And when you got okay. your hustle for these jobs, <laughs> that's hustling. Uh-huh. Everybody hustles. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you might don't believe it, a so not you hustling when you try to sell your product and all. That's mm-hmm. a hustle.
5: Mm-hmm. So.
7: I'm still hustling. You still learn. I don't care if you be 90, you still learn. And, uh, you know, I heard him speak of Mr. Falcon, which I admire very, very much. I buy all his tapes and read the books that he writes. But uh, he said that a man can't learn how to live until he's 75 years old. And I'm a witness you still learn, you know, if you want to learn, you know. And the Bible teaches you to look for knowledge like fine gold and silver, and that's what I've been doing all my life. And that's the reason I wrote the book, Mr. Carter, is because I had something to offer my grandkids and my children. I got one son, 13 daughters, and about six grandsons. And you <laughs> see that's why I uh, wrote my uh, book uh, two, hoping that It would be a guideline for them. And in the meantime, while I'm talking to them, I was talking to the kids of this world, the younger kids, which I have fed all of my life. It's in the book. I have given jobs to, and I'm still doing it. But I... They can learn from this book if they were just bad because I'm teaching them how to be a contractor. An old man gave me a secret and walked me through like I would walk them through this book, teach them how to get a job and how to pull up their pants. And me, I'm not bragging, but I'm just telling the truth about it. I don't had $21 billion I had, I was the first, I think I was, or maybe someone else, I don't know, but I think I was the first uh, black person in life to have a lounge downtown on State Street at across crossing field a rope-up rope called the payroll Lady Lounge. I had a 90-room mm-hmm. hotel, which called, was called the cryo, cryo Hotel on 55th in Michigan, that they rebellious go in. 55th in Michigan? They go in the club, huh? You said fifty fifth in Michigan. What was the name of the club? Yeah, right. Fifty four. The hotel, rather. Fifty five, fifteen. Uh, fifty five, fifty four, Michigan. You probably remember it was the All Night Liquor Store out right on the
6: corner. Mm. And so you have been. The been a, now
1: huh? I want to get back to this here question that you kind of mm, jumped around on me, what and that? you kind of, you, you kind of. Um, How can you put it, justify the the term hustler when you said, well, you're still hustling. Now, is it fair to ask you, are you, what age were you when you stopped, was it called illegal hustling to legitimate hustling? What age? Were you, Uh, was it uh, uh, illegal hustling uh, converted to legal hustling?
7: Well, you know, if you want to call gambling illegal, that's what I did. That's the vice that I was was doing, this gambling. I must have stopped when I bought the hotel uh, about nineteen seventy seven, which I guess. Now, did you
1: buy these hotels and these businesses by hustling?
7: Yes. Yes. So that means the old man taught me how. The old man taught me how to be a contractor. He taught me. Then I kids who you meet in life and who put their arms around you and who bring you through. They're like you be made a movie star. You have to have a chance. Like this book. Someone will someone will grab this book. I'm writing a trilogy. Someone will grab this book and they said, Damn, I didn't know so much meat was in this book because you know, it seemed like the people of the day, they be turned off on a towel, a like, jump and a hustler. they laugh at you, ha, ha, ha. I had uh, radio announcers, I, you know, i read written them a letter and said, look here, I didn't tell them Pam will or nothing. I just said, read this book. It's about teaching the kids about life. I hear them every day talking about the gap. We got a gap in life. But they not read my book because I got four things in the front of my book to tell you what I think they should do and what hinders the kids are our life. And one is education and the lack of uh, them having respect for their elders, or their parents, they're not getting this in school no more. Ain't no more big mamas and things like that. So the bangers put their arms around and become their family because you ain't got nobody to guide them. Taking that prayer out of school was the most dangerous thing, uh, damaging thing, that the government could do for the blacks and anybody else taking that pride out of school because when you stop fearing God, which is ahead of everybody's life, and then you turn around and tell the parents, if you whip it, you abuse them, I'm going to put you at the penitentiary. Now, who he got the it? They just take mm-hmm. all that protection away from you protecting your kids. Now, you're scared to whip them, and then, then they get too big for you to say anything to You, you might almost be scared to say anything to them because they both roll their eyes, and they talking about these them stickers they want for $200. But I think if you put that prayer back in school, then that gap <laughs> would close on them. You'll see. And I know that them 19-year-old boys now and 20 olds and 18-year-olds, them grandmothers and mothers trying to raise them, they they ain't listening no more. They're gone. They got a mind their own. But I'm <laughs> talking about <laughs> like them kids, six years old, seven, eight,
2: nine. Now, been taking, taking it real around.
1: Right. Now, looking at the time when you're speaking of being a pimp and a hustler, and we look at the, Get a couple the of economics minutes. of that time, uh, so I'm pretty sure you're, you're familiar with the policy numbers and things of that nature that was going on in Chicago as well.
7: Right. Sure.
1: Okay. Now, that was a – how much would you say – the The life of the pimp and the hustlers had uh how can I put it about what percentage then would you say that that consists of the economics of the black community uh being in the in, in the fast life of being pimps and hustlers, or is that just no different than any other ethnic group? They're pimps and hustling.
7: There's no different, I don't think.
1: Okay, so you'll say is basically the same, uh, but would you say that it kind of stand out more in the black community? Yeah, yeah. doing hmm do but... Okay, well, hold on, uh, um, uh, Al. We have a caller, uh, Sonia. Okay.
3: You're listening to Black Wall Street USA, Caller from uh, last four digits, last four digits, one, four, one, three. Welcome to Black Wall Street USA. Tell us who you are and what is your question or comment.
8: Hi, uh, I'm Delores Harper.
3: Um, How are you doing, Delores Harper? You're calling from where? I'm Al's
8: assistant. Oh, okay. I'm Al's
1: assistant.
8: I met you before, Mr. Carter. I'm doing fine. That's great. (laughs) I was listening to you guys' conversation and... uh, I'm I'm in Morgan Park right now. I'm uh-huh. calling from Morgan Park. Okay. Um, I wanted to just say this. What do you call Morgan that
1: Park community? Pardon me. Morgan yes, Park community Morgan Park or Morgan community. Park school?
8: Morgan Park community.
1: Okay. All right.
8: <laughs> okay. I just wanted to say that I know Al's book is. Uh, it has a lot of good things in it to teach the young people how to. Kind of no you know, see these holes and cracks that they can fall into if they just follow Al's life. Then they can mm-hmm. see, you know, some of the, the the holes and cracks along the way that they're falling into right now. If they would read his book, then it could help to guide them through that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say this: I think mm-hmm. one of the big biggest a uh, big economic problem that we have is that the black people do not patronize black businesses enough in our communities, and I think it would help us, the the black communities, a lot if they did patronize the black businesses more.
1: Why do you think that uh, blacks do not patronize black businesses uh, as much well, as they should?
8: Well, for, for one thing, they have a lot of other race, races-owning businesses in our communities, and they tend to frequent those businesses on a regular basis.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, those
8: people are the ones that's getting the money. The other races.
1: Now
5: take the Arabs,
8: the... the the Arabs and uh, Oriental people that own businesses.
2: Mm-hmm. They now, have
8: businesses give... right on the corner in our communities, and they're they're uh, they're getting all of the money from the black mm-hmm. people.
1: Well, looking at as we was talking earlier in the broadcast about uh the yet, uh, yeti which is uh youth empowerment through economics and if we look at the the blanket of our youth and as we look at what we see on the street of our youth based on the way we see them dressed is held that overtone that most black youth has this thug mentality. Now, True. if with that in mind, would you say that they would be more in line to identify with uh, a pimp and a hustler more than uh, Bill Cosby as Dr. Hustleable?
8: Oh, yes. I think that that title would really grab them because a lot of these young boys out here are looking to be pimps. I think and I think that the music that they listen to the hip hop music influences them in that direction also.
5: Mhm. By so, the way
8: that they uh, address the 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 uh, the women, you know, they well, they do have you the think mentality. That The
1: Women are also are more in line with uh, accepting the the third, and what I'm trying to get to is how we relate the third identification with a pimp and a hustler as a way of economic stability or is that going too far, uh, yeah, that's going to oh, far, far. To they do look yeah,
8: that's, at it in that it's, way hey, Deloitte, okay. yeah, I, uh, think I
7: think that's going huh? too far the thing of it is what I'm trying to show the young boys in the book is I'm not glorifying pimping you know and right. even hustling because when you grow up, you'll know that everybody hustles. And everybody, mm-hmm. you know, the newspaper people, that are selling paper, they hustle. That's a word. Right. That pimping mm-hmm. is what gets keepers and turn 'em them off and things. But that's a part of life that you can't get away from if you get in that style. You yeah. know, although I said I gave up pimping, but if you read my book, you'll see where if I didn't try to pull a woman, if I didn't try to pimp her, and call out our name, she would pull me on the kind of the, my style, what she liked, my dressing, and all like that. So you can't hardly get away from it. But the mm-hmm. only well, thing you can do, and you should have heard me and lord later you got on radio now, you should have heard our show. And if you go on Facebook, you can still hear our radio show. When the old man, a mentor, told me uh, about contracting. But that's what I want to try to tell the young boys about it, is that contracting. He was contracting, I don't know about Lincoln's Cadillacs, almost a half plan, a uh, 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 ship or whatever I wanted. It was the money so long out there. When the money, when the jobs is right, you got long money and no police looking for you, and you ain't got to wear them pants down, you can dress in them suits and go and make you some money. And that's what I want to do. Not about. Okay, now, that's wait, what, what we're going we'll, yeah, uh, uh, to do, like the Bible <laughs> says, when you're a child, you act as a child, but when you become an adult, you put away childish things, and yeah. that's what I've done, and that's what I've shown them in this book. I've right. got yeah, to work with you. We're going to take a break. We're going to take a fellow fellow break fellow right quick, and then after the break, we're going to pick up
1: back on a pimp and a hustler and how it relates to economics. Sonia?
3: Thank you so much. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. This is Sonia Cassandra Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network and author of Black America Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010. Our host is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago and publisher of the South Street Journal. Our guest is Mr. L. Nguyen, author of a Pimp and a Hustler, and I like this, Mr. Uh, Wynn. We, we haven't talked about this before, so I am really enjoying this this conversation. I need to get that book, too. I'm really enjoying this, and I need to share it. Now, uh, our caller number is 347-326-9477. Our caller number is 347-326-9477. And uh, our first speaker is on the line, and uh, who's forming the football Camps uh, around the country, and we're going to bring it back a little later on, too. The chat room is open. You can leave your company information and website links in the chat room. We want you to know that Black Wall Street has a national focus. We reach out to organizations across the nation in our efforts to connect the dots, the spiritual dots of our people across this land. These are the type of dialogues we have because these dialogues are important. We bring forth these ideas and agendas that are already in place and let the nation know what works. We bring forth people across the nation who know how to make it work, okay? want to just let you know, Black Wall Street Chicago will be hosting a 16th Black Wall Street Economic Summit on Saturday, July the 9th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. at the Prince Hall Masonic Temple, 803 East 42nd Place in Chicago. The reception leading up to the summit will be at the office of the South Street Journal, and that's going to be June the 24th 6 to 9 p.m. at 449 East 35th Street. We'll keep you updated on everything that's going on, but we surely want you to take the time to come out and join us. If you want to RSVP, you have some additional questions, you want to set up a booth, call us at 312-624-8351, 312-624-8351. This is what we do every Thursday evening, Black Wall Street, USA is right here every Thursday on CBN on blog talk radio come over be a part of all that we do in sustaining and increasing black businesses across the country join us for a job and resource fair hosted by ETS events on Wednesday June 22nd from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Fernwood United Methodist Church located at 10057 South Wallace in Chicago Bring your best presentation for this job fair on Wednesday, June 22nd at 10057 South Wallace. For information, visit www.etsceo.com, that's ETSCEO.com.
0: Greetings. This is Prentice Allison, founder and president of SPSI, a network of financial service professionals teaching America how to get more income and pay less tax through life insurance and annuities. Let us show you how. Call us toll free at 877-902-9048. Again, 877-902-9048. I wish you well, and to God be the glory.
5: Hi, I'm
8: Marsha Turner, National Program Director and Executive Director of the Rainbow Push Coalition. Prepare to be inspired and enlightened during our 40th Annual Rainbow Push Coalition and Citizenship Education Fund Conference. To be held June 18th through the 22nd here in Chicago, Illinois, at the historic Chicago Hilton and Towers. Some of our featured speakers and panelists.
6: I they go to Chicago every third Saturday When my DJ, they turn me on to good, good music So this one day I day town, I try to put my head down low But the other I try, go so the more of the see, They like to shine out, eh? Yeah God be done, do I? Well they no not be yeah I dance like hey, a hey, a a hey. motibere mije, motibere mije, motibere mije, motibere mije, motibere mije, mi I run from the Midwest, I can't go east. Where well, the people then yap while I call us our money, So this one day I go out of try to keep my head down. But the other I try, what well, the more i see them. your The light is shining, um, eh. the people don't see Then yeah. They're not be say my God, they don't do Hey, 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 what you wear every day? you wear every day? What you you day? That's nah, so all we they do. I'm the man, i the big and man Green, white, green. I ah, they rap some well. Na midwest are they But sometimes I they rock in my black and yellow. I ah, dey throw a salute. You go buy my grave. That's nah, so all we they do. I'm the man, i the big and the sweet man Green, white, green. I they rock somewhere well. The Midwest I did, but sometimes I they rock in my black and yellow. 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 Black and yellow.
3: Welcome back. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA on CBBN on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. Our host this evening is Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Let's bring our host back on the air, and I guess Mr. Al Nguyen and all of our callers, you are back on the air.
1: Okay. W- welcome back all, and so am I.
5: <laughs> Mr. Carter, what? what I wanted to say is, I was
8: listening to what Al was saying, and it reminded me of something in the book. It was a a person that was on Forty Seventh Street that was everyone thought he was a pimp,
5: and he yeah. told
8: he taught Al about this thing he had. It was called the Cinch Win in Life. And Al asked him what that cinch win was, and he told him it was a job.
4: <laughs> a job? The cinch yes, win was a job. Had,
8: he actually had a job. He worked in the evening, and everybody thought he was a pimp, but he really had a job. That's how he kept kept his, his self together, and he so told Al he, about that.
1: So that takes me to a, a, another point here is the... The, the, the style and the pizzazz of being a pimp and a hustler, even though there are those that are not, but they are enthused about the the rhythm and the style of a pimp, or is that a culture? Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, Al, so how do
7: you uh,
1: portray that? I mean, is it the glory of it, or is it the image of it,
7: or is it just a way of making a living? Well, to the man, I guess is a way of making a living. And to that lazy person that really ain't looking for nothing like they do on that welfare check, once a month check, he don't want to do nothing else but pimp. You know, you got different pimps out there. You got some gorilla pimps. You got. All kind of pimps out there. But the thing hill you got that dope freaking pimp, that heroin pimp, which is the most dangerous pimp it is out there because he ain't playing no kind of game. Mm-hmm. He to well, we, have
5: a, we have a caller. We
7: have
1: Right. Okay, we have a caller now, Al, and uh, want to okay. uh, Sonia.
3: Listening to Black Wall Street USA, caller us from Area Code 630, you're on the air with Black Wall Street. Tell us who you are and your question or comment.
9: Hi, Black Wall Street, and to your guests, I am Yorley Huff, and I was calling to tell you about my book.
1: Okay. uh, Ms. Huff? Yes, sir. Okay, and um, what is your book?
9: The title of the book is called The Veil of Victory. And it's a non-fictional autobiography uh, regarding my life. One of the stories in the book talks about my career as an undercover drug agent. I was discriminated against. I got evidence against my employer and filed a complaint internally. And in turn, they threatened to kill me. Is this a a novel or are you
1: talking about this as a life experience?
9: This is non-fiction truth. This is my life experience. You was
1: an undercover knock or undercover drug dealer?
9: Yes, I was. Undercover drug agent.
1: Uh undercover drug agent. Did you run into Al Wynn when you was on the street?
5: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> okay. Just thought it was gonna be some kind of cross reference here. I wasn't for sure here. So even with as we talking to Al and and his book on a pimp and a hustler and you was a other undercover agent. That converted your story into a book, uh what you heard some of the words of Al is that a reflection Did you have to become a you have to change or you have to become an actor to to be an undercover agent, or how do you apply yourself to what we've been talking to with Al about?
9: Yes, absolutely, you have to become an actor. There are some that had to become actors. I grew up in K-Town, which is the west side of Chicago, which is the heart of the ghetto. I grew up surrounded by gangs and drugs and pimps and prostitutes. So uh, it wasn't necessarily an act for me. It was my life, how I grew up. So I was just getting paid to do what what I've seen happen in the streets all my life.
1: Well, in part of if we can look at the uh the movies as it relates to your your life experience, is there such a thing as in too deep?
9: Absolutely. Um unfortunately some of the officers that I work with they ended up being indicted because they crossed the line. I think uh you become so immune or the surroundings become almost uh real life to you and you uh forget that there needs to be a separation that this is not this is not my life this is my career and I do need to go home and break from this unfortunately uh there are some who can't differentiate between the two at a certain point
1: well we have heard every now and then on in the movies we see undercover agents, females. Now, were you one of the few female yes, undercover
5: absolutely... agents? Yes, well, you I was. Were one of the few only... or were
1: you one of that can be counted on your hand?
9: I was one on the one hand. <laughs> I was uh. <laughs> one of the I was the only black female on my team of white counterparts and one of maybe two at a time or three at a time black females in the entire unit that covered all of uh, Cook County.
1: Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you actually how do you all do that? I mean you all you was you was a drug dealer.
9: Absolutely. I operated and uh, played the game As such to get the job done If it was posing For a low level uh, Street operation Posing as a drug addict Then I transformed into that hat If it was dealing with Higher major heavy traffickers Then I was buying or selling Okay well, Let me ask
6: you What is, you,
9: what is, what is
1: your age now Miss Hall
9: I'm 42
1: you must have been a young uh, drug dealer, I, I, for lack of words, young drug. I mean, undercover. Just saying it's short, drug dealer. But I know you was undercover drug dealer. Uh, let me ask this here of you: How much, based on being in that that life and looking at the community as a whole, how much of that plays in the economics? of the community, and how much of that did your agency realize it was more of economics more than just want to be a lifestyle? Or was there any policy or understanding of lifestyle versus economics and being an undercover agent?
9: Well, I want you to understand that most of the undercover drug agents that were in the agency that I was with did not reflect the communities that they served. There were, uh, as I stated, I was the only black female on my team and maybe one of two or three black females in the entire unit of about approximately 60 to 70 agents. And for blacks overall, They only made up a handful, no more than five, and that was part of the discrimination that uh, led me to victory in my case after an 11-year legal battle. They did not, they were, my team exclusively was to serve the south suburban suburbs where they have low, uh, high unemployment, high drug activity, high gang activity, and so not coming from those communities, not understanding the dynamics of those communities and how the communities always are underserved and underserviced, there was not never a thought or a question or a discussion about what this drug game was about. Was it economics or was it a lifestyle? It was the war on drugs and that was it. And so, unfortunately, as Blacks in our communities being underserved and underfunded all of the time, then if you're not from that community, you cannot understand what that means because you you never had to live that lifestyle. You never had to be exposed to the things that Blacks have to be exposed with, not only the economics but the pressures and the stress of just being Black.
1: Um, what made you write the book?
9: Uh, the motivation to write the book was a victory of an 11-year legal battle. After my life had been threatened, uh, they had confessed. My um, the defendants confessed to everything, and they were found not guilty after a 22-day trial. They set my house on fire, and I wanted to let the world know that just because. They? Well,
1: you say they set your house on fire. Who was they?
9: Uh, my fellow police officers, as a form of intimidation during the trial.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, Al, let me ask you: uh, Have you yeah. witnessed similar circumstances being a pimp and a hustler?
7: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a cutter.
1: Can I yes. just
7: read you this little thing from the back of my book? Sure. Okay, this book, A Pimp and a Hustler, is a direct picture of the life I have lived thus far. It shows all my good, bad, and hard times. It began in West Point, Georgia, where I joined, joined it to Chicago, where at the age of eight, I began to see a whole new view of the world. This book, I included my experience of having sex at an early age of 12. I witnessed drug of pimps, hustlers, and con artists. And through it all, I learned life for what it is. what is life. Life is a school of good and bad breaks, where lessons hard learned reach the human soul and leaves an imprint. And that imprint is experience, and that's what I'm trying to share with these young boys. I have rubbed shoulders for aldermen, congressmen, judges, and the top-notch gangsters of Chicago. Most of them was dang uh, laws in the late 60s. Now, so um, yes, so I, don't, I, I, I don't know. If, if, yeah, I have real shoulder against it. I have had several narrow escapes in my life, and two or three people try to kill me. So, yeah. So
6: yeah. what? Uh, what
1: was? What are you? Uh, as uh, Al had uh, expressed, what his direction in writing his book? What is the direction in writing your book, uh, Miss Huff?
9: the direction in writing The Veil of Victory is to enlighten, empower, and encourage others and let them know that Uh, Just because your present circumstances might dictate a future, you still have a matter and a choice. And amongst all, you must understand that you have a purpose and a uniqueness about you that only you can contribute to this society. And you must be committed. You must be so determined in your purpose to contribute this uniqueness and share this uniqueness that you will fight unto death To get that done To follow in your purpose and your destiny So it's one, it's a book of truth It's a book of motivation The book also talks about overcoming Molestation and uh, Child abuse and spousal abuse The most Exciting part of the book Is the undercover work But it is total uh, Unveiling Of my life To let others know that If I an individual from the ghetto can rise above all the circumstances in the ghetto. You too can have that same opportunity and choice, and you must be willing to fight for it until death.
1: Now, now, what is your? Uh, give me your full name and the, and the name of the book again.
9: It's Yorley Huff. The title of the book is The P-H-E, The The vale Veil of Victory, and my website is www. Theveilofvictory.com.
1: Now, there was a uh, You know it's, you know I have to put this on our uh, Co-host, you know Which you have a point uh, Regarding undercover uh, You know, here in Chicago Just a few years ago There was a Guy, uh, an undercover cop In Robert Taylor Holmes That was killed How do a, a Caucasian Do undercover in the black Neighborhood
9: They do it all the time Because majority of the customers In the black neighborhood are Caucasian but you would never know that From the news and the Media and the print The majority of Users of drugs are white It is just being portrayed And given a misleading View that you see That blacks You know, we are the worst of the worst, and that is not true.
1: Now, when we go to, now, I'll tell this story, you know,
5: know,
1: I'm a good guy, but I did spend eight days in Cook County Jail. And when I did spend eight days in Cook County Jail, I seen a, who more like a mountain of black people and naturally the majority of that was of uh, drug-related. Now, based on what you're saying, that it is majority white, you know, and it's about maybe a little more blacks in Chicago than they are white, but in Cook County Jail reflects um, that the crime is done by uh, blacks. Now, as a policy and an and, and as an assessment of the drug agency have they ever looked at those demographics taking in consideration as you said most of the drug users are white. So have there been any policy discussion in the unbiased parity of who's actually getting arrested. Have it, is, it, is it on the the, the the desk of the executives based on this unbalance of who's getting arrested for drugs?
2: The
9: reality, my brother, is that, yes, the numbers are on the executive desk, and as long as the numbers are high in the black community, no one is going to look further. What you deal with in that reality is called institutionalized
5: racism. The
9: court system and the laws were never made for black people, never to accommodate black people.
1: So as we hear this over and over, I mean, we're hearing this, um, not only that the black media
5: has reported
1: what you just stated, the white media has reported that as well. And as it continues to be reported regarding the the, uh, the unjust justice system, where does it stop or does it stop or, and again, as we talked earlier with uh, Al, based on the thug life in relationship to the pimp and the hustler to maybe the reality of, Drugs is the way of life So where does this come to a head And especially again as you say The majority of the drug uh, users are Caucasian
9: It's going to come to a head When our black people raise their conscious level And have a transformation from the unconscious To the conscious and understand Yes there are hard economic times in the neighborhood and yes, there are there it is a deceptive practice to make you think that there are no resources when it comes to the black neighborhood. But one once we raise our conscious level and stand up and begin to fight and protest, not give in and drug deal and gangbang and you know, do the illegal activities, but stand and fight. Once we Get the consciousness and fight, then change will come.
1: Mm-hmm. No, well, what you all hold on. We have another uh, caller, uh, Sonia.
3: You're listening to Black Wall Street USA, and it's all about authors today. We want each of you to stay on the line because we want you to come back and give us a conclusion and tell us uh, the name, your name, and your book, um, the name of your book again. We're going to go to area code six four six. You are on the line with Black Wall Street USA?
5: Uh hello, this is
10: Sudhir calling from New York.
3: How you doing,
1: Sudhir? Um I guess I better give a little introduction of Sudhir. Um he is a professor at Columbia University in New York and it just so happens that he's the one that persuaded me over a year that uh, we needed to do a book on uh South Street Journal. Um, my understanding, if I got this right, Sadir, you have written three books. That's right. Is that correct? All
10: right. I would like to ask ask your guest a question, if I could. Sure. I would like to know what happens to pimps and hustlers after they stop being pimps. Do they go into other kind of economies? What do they do with their lives?
1: Al. Uh, yeah, he did kind of address that early in the program, but uh, Mr. L. Wien, are you there? Yeah. Okay, did uh, you hear the question?
7: I was, yes. I was just trying to, I was telling him, I was trying to tell you. Al uh, Wien, do you have your
1: grandchildren with you?
7: What, dad with me? Uh,
1: do I hear grandchildren? No. Oh, okay, I hear some grandchildren, y'all. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry.
7: Yeah, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Uh, At an early age, I stopped that pepping, although you can't stop on your own. I mean, you know, you can stop taking money from women now, but women will still be pushing up on you uh, when you're coming through life. If you're a good dresser uh, like that, you're a fast guy like that, women still want to take care of you, want to do things for you and all, so you can't get away from that until you become to be that guy to go to church every day. But, see, that's what I'm trying to tell these young boys, I want to tell your caller. Uh, at a young age, I went to jail. I did a year and a half in Stateville. And I got out, and an old man put his arms around me and turned me out to be a contractor and put some fat on my head. Then as I grew into that contracting, I met Mr. Jackson, which is right down the street from uh, uh, from uh, uh, Carter's place. uh it was called Supreme Life Insurance Company, right on the corner of King Drive. He sold me about $10 billion. I mean, not at once, but each time that I picked them up and all, I bought them. And I learned how Carter asked me, what does a pimp and a hustler have to do with economics? And yeah. it has everything to do with it because uh, both, if you want to admit, is individual about making money. And I learned through life in that contracting, not pimping. In the contracting how to make money and how to save money, how to lose money and how to invest money. And that's what I'm trying to teach the kids. Yeah uh, okay. you know, it's on those lazy guys like I said before, guys don't want to do nothing but think they're a pimp. they be out there all day life trying to do that like they try to collect checks. Me I need to do something else, and that's what i done, contract, and that's what I chose to do all the rest of my life, and I've been doing it for about 50 years. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, uh, uh, Sidira, let me ask
1: you a question and bring you into this conversation to a great extent. Uh, you did write a book yourself, uh, Game Leader for a Day. And I don't know how much of the earlier um, conversations that we had on this program where we talked about Al Wynn as a pimp and a hustler, and we also talked to Miss Huff as she was an undercover uh, agent. Um, and you um, went on the task to be a uh, gang leader for a day. In which you weren't undercover, mainly because of your nationality. I don't know, would you have been more undercover if it wasn't for your nationality? Or would you? So, can you give us your uh, brief experience in engaging in writing a book, Gang Leader for a Day? And again, what does that have to do with economics, if you can?
10: Well, so I stayed in the project, the Robert Taylor Homes with Families and i wrote this book gang leader for a day and i think that the projects uh, has everything to do with economics i think economics has everything to do with everything because um, frankly you can you can um, you can you can't really understand the problem i in my view that that's happening in in places and in inner cities today unless you understand economics so one of the questions that I always have is what happens to all the people not just pimps but anyone who hustles in the underground economy which is what I was interested in um what is the similarity between what they do and what people in the in the legitimate business world do
0: and uh, and
10: how do they how do they over the course of their life what is it like what do they do after they stop hustling what's left for them do they learn anything I have to say that one of the most important lessons I learned is that when people ask me what did I learn about living in the projects, I say I learned about how to be an American because I think that the kinds of lessons that you learn living in a community like that where you have to deal with all sorts of issues and challenges and difficulties, um, you know, most people don't look at the inner cities as a place where they can go to and learn something, but that's what I did. Um, so I think it has everything to do with economics because it's all about, in some sense, about survival, as you know. And it's about changing the kind of uh, view that people have in the world um, about some of these neighborhoods.
1: Okay. Well, Miss Huff, as you were an undercover agent, uh, have you experienced uh, some of the people that you were undercovering or you was undercover spying on I can't think of another word other than spy or uh however, did you see a transition of some of those criminals per se that wanted or to make that transition from their way of life to legitimize themselves. Uh did you get a sense of that as you yeah. was an undercover agent or other or people just did not want to make that transition. Uh, What was your experience, as uh, uh, Sadir kind of pointed out?
9: Well, my experience, I ran across various types of people, and in the hood, I felt that everyone wanted to do better, and I just felt that they didn't know how. And then as time went on, I saw people... Uh, Some higher-level drug dealers tried to transition via property or uh, stores or different things uh, into business, but unfortunately their intent was to uh, funnel money through the businesses to try to make the dirty money clean not necessarily make for a better community, not necessarily make for a transition plan from something illegal to legal because there was a lot of asset forfeiture going on. Mm -hmm. So
1: you have... Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask all of you. I think that I'm just going to go back to an experience of uh, South Street Journal, maybe about... um, 12 years ago, that um, we wrote a story indicating, and we listed the top 10 uh, places where you can buy drugs at, and we listed those in the paper. Uh, I did question myself by asking other people, should we do that? Most people stated, do not do that. Don't list where you can buy drugs which corner so we did it anyway, and we listed the, the 10 hottest places where you can go buy drugs so when the paper hit the street uh and as we uh distribute the paper uh there was one point uh, a guy walked up to me with gold all over his uh neck and indicated why y'all put that in the paper uh, we don't sell drugs around here. It just so happened it was on the corner of 59th and State Street at the time. Um, but, and then there's one youth that indicated tell our story in the paper, but don't tell on us. No. How can, can anyone kind of address those scenarios?
5: more
9: well, this is surely the veil of victory. Uh, I think, like I stated, that you have a, uh, in the hood, you have a desire to want to do better. Unfortunately, this some see the illegal activity as the only way uh, for their means of survival because there is no legitimate work coming to the hood, developing in the hood, being created in the hood. So, if this is the only way growing up as children, if this is the only way that is put before them to gain a means of survival for some, because everybody's every, everybody's not out there balling, but if this well, is the uh, only opportunity presented to them, then they want to take the risk to, to they want to take the risk to make it. I talk with the youth in the detention center twice a month, and what they talk about, are. Uh, can you give me a job? Can you give me a job? So they want to work. They want to do the right thing. But this is fast, easy money. It's in their face. It's there 24-7, 365 days, and at least they know they're going to get them a pair of kicks and something to eat on a consistent basis.
1: Well, Sadia, let me ask you this. uh you, uh, as you wrote the book, was it a, was it an open door to you that people wanted their story told by you, knowing that you were writing a book? Uh, is it something that they really want their story to be told? That they allowed you to walk and talk and live with them?
10: I think so. I mean.
1: Well,
10: the thing that I I found out is that people who hustle understand that most people in the legitimate economy are just like them, meaning there's really a very small difference between the person who hustles and the person who works downtown. I'm not saying it's the same, but what I'm saying is it's all about who you know. It's all about how well you can survive. Um some of the smartest people who are doing economics uh used to live in the project. And I mean some of okay, the smartest people you know. So it. so I do think that what they want to do is let the rest of the world know that it's a matter of survival, but just because they're survival and it doesn't mean they're animals, that they got a lot of smarts. And because so, they're trying to change the perception, they do want someone to tell their story that they're thoughtful, that they know how to uh, manage an economy and manage a business, and they can do it as best as anyone else. Mm-hmm.
1: So, again, maybe that goes Here's back Nevada. to you, Mr. L., when you indicated to write your story, and you're writing your story not only to express your experiences, but you're using your story as a a guide to others to do better or did you see that you
7: can going to make a lot it, of money uh, off your book? I was using it. I wrote this, and I was using it. I wrote it for my grandkids for them to be a guide and don't make the same mistake I made to go to jail and thank me a pimp and all that stuff. But can I ask your guest from New York a question? Yes. Hello? Yeah. What's his name? Well,
1: who are you speaking about, Sadir or Miss Huff? The,
7: the, the, the gentleman from New York.
1: Yeah, uh Sadir.
7: So dear, yeah, I said, you have uh, a question. Uh, how old are you? How old am I? Yeah. 44. You, well, I'm 77, but you said you lived in a Robert Taylor home, and I did too. And I lived at 48, 48 State, State, right to across something in like school. And I okay. was living in the project with them rats or whatever you want to call it. When I bought the hit Club on Fifty Fifth and Michigan, so, so I'm from the projects too.
1: Now Sedir, so if I can say, he's not African American.
10: Yeah, right.
7: and I'm not I'm from, not from the,
10: Mr. Win, Pardon? I'm not from I'm not from the projects, Mr. Wynn. Now you're from the projects. I just happen to stay with families.
7: Helped, right. Well, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't born there, but I grew, I mean, I moved there, too. I mean, you said you were there with your family, but I grew, I drew, I, I, uh, I, lived there with my family, so, okay. You said Robert Keller Holmes, and that's where I lived. Well, well uh, if there. I
1: can, give a little background on Sadir as well. He's an uh, Indian nationality that was able to have uh, gang leaders open up to him. Uh, let me ask you, Sadir, so How was that? Was that easy for you, being a different nationality, for gang leaders in public housing to open up to you? I mean, how did that come about? Didn't you get eyeballs? Or who are you to be coming in here to, you know? So, how did that come about that you was able to do that? Uh, did you just have a sway or sway about yourself to say this is a Good homeboy or what? How'd that come about?
5: Well,
10: I don't think it's so complicated, though I do do understand the question is a legitimate question. I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, which is that most of the time people look at communities like this like they're um, either that they're criminals, they are, have nothing to offer, that everyone there is doing something wrong, and so on and so forth. So if you have any any decency about you, and you walk in, and, and there are a lot of people who do this, they're not just me, there are school teachers or there are social workers, or, you know, uh, if you just walk in and say, I'm here to listen, and I and I just want to know your story, and you don't come in defining everybody and looking at everybody as a criminal, I think you can go a lot longer way to getting people to open up to you. So I don't think I have anything that I did that's, you know, secret or magical um, I just think that um, I hung around long enough to, so that people would know that um, I'm interested in them as workers. And that's why it's an economic question. I, I actually don't care what you do, to a point, I mean. I mean, if you're hustling, you're hustling. I'm interested in what happens because you're hustling. How is it? What does it mean to hustle? How much do you make? What do you do with your money? What are your challenges? How do you feed your family? What happens when you stop hustling? Do you stop hustling? Questions that most people don't ask them because most of the time they just want to lock them up.
1: Mm-hmm. Now Miss Huff as you being an other uh, undercover agent uh did you get into those type of conversations for a lack of words for the people that you were actually spying on give me another word other than spy i can't think of another word what's another <laughs> word than spy you know oh, yeah. you got another word that you was doing other than spying
9: i was uh Enforcing Fine. drug law. <laughs> yeah, enforcing the law.
1: <laughs> okay. Enforcing <laughs> drug laws.
9: That's what I was doing.
1: <laughs> okay. Did you get into conversations such as Sadir just expressed as you developed that relationship with your counterparts?
9: No. There was no – it was about the business. It, let's be clear you um there are drug laws, and they as law enforcement, especially as drug enforcement agents, it is uh, it was the business to enforce those laws, so seeing the communities that I served in various ways, one growing up in their community and understanding uh you know the street, the street law. Then growing up to enforce the drug law. Then being kicked out and having to sue. Uh, now I take both of those perspectives into those same communities to talk to those uh, the kids that are there now, and let them know the street smart that you have could make you the CEO of a company. Why waste the opportunity and the intelligence and the uniqueness of your purpose on the illegal game? Take that same hustle and do legitimate things with it, and you will realize that you're working harder and having to suffer the growing pains of that hard labor because it's illegal and turn it be and you will advance yourself so much faster because you just, you have that much advantage over someone in corporate who has not experienced. Or better yet, well, let's talk did. about creating your own job opportunities. Let's stop talking about working for somebody else because nobody's coming to the community building, uh, bringing finances. You know, concerned about the economics. How about you use your creativity because you had to be so creative to avoid undercover agents like myself to get caught to a certain extent that you are so creative and so slick? Why not put that to a positive use?
1: Have you ever been sorry for someone that you had to turn in?
9: Every last one of them. Every last, every last arrestee, I just felt as though I understood. I understood, but I just felt as though, just what I said, you have the intelligence and the street smart that could take you to the higher limits if you just apply it in in a positive manner instead of a negative manner.
1: So then um, upon you having this sensitivity with your job, do did your superiors recognize that that might occur?
9: The Did my superiors
1: uh, realize that it might occur that you may have a sensitivity to some of the, as I indicated earlier, mm-hmm the assessment of the unjust parity of the jail system and because of your nationality that you may get soft.
9: I don't think it was a matter of questioning whether I would get soft or not be effective or efficient, it was an understanding and a knowledge that they had when they selected me for the job that I knew how to maneuver, I knew how to get the job done. No matter who it was, if it was the highest level to the street corner operation, I could cold cut anybody because I knew the streets, and so they saw I had that advantage over other people getting the position because they saw that. And so that was to their advantage. But a care and a concern, that was not even on anybody's mind. It's the war on drugs, and so we need drug agents to affect this war.
1: Well, let me add, let me turn the question around on Sadir. As you did your uh, gang leader for the day interviews and things of that nature, did you find yourself turning the other way around and got hard and say that some of these guys just need to be in jail?
10: No, no, no. I mean, not maybe. I don't think so. Let me tell you what really was scandalous for me. What was scandalous for me was, remember, I was sitting there being a, um, a scientist. I was counting. I was counting, um, uh, for example, I'll tell you one thing that was scandalous for me. I was counting the number of people who came into that community, the projects, to buy drugs. More than half of the people who came into that community to buy drugs were not from that community. And the vast majority of them came from the white neighborhoods across the the freeway. But we don't hear anything about that. So why is it that when when we talk about the drug problem, it becomes talked about not about all of those white ethnic people who came in and are buying the drugs. Right? So those are the things that make me wonder, um, where do we get our information? Who is responsible for putting this kind of information out? And why is it that we can't correct the the view? I'm not well, saying that we 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 need to ignore what you're what you're talking about about these young men, et cetera, but We need to have a more balanced perspective.
1: Well, Ms. Huff, let me go back to you again based on uh, Sadir's comments. Weren't your superiors getting that type of data to be able to try to do a little bit more uh, uh, assessment of where's the main target for your undercover?
9: Well, the main target in the black community was blacks. And the communities and most of the drug communities. Now, we, the agency that I was with covered all of Cook County, so we were far north in the white communities as well, and the Hispanic communities, and the drugs are everywhere. It is just exploited to make society think that it's in the black community. Okay, only, now,
1: with society making it seem as though it's more in the black community, where is this being directed from? That make the the, the uh, society think and believe that it's more in the black community. Does it come from the media or does it come from the uh, the reports of your agency or the police that makes the uh, city at large feel as though it's more in the black community? And again, as we see the jails, we will assume that it is more in the black community. So, but where are these reports justifying? to the mass media per se that is more in the black community.
9: It is the media, it is the exploitation of the media. All arrests are reported as reported as data. So all of the arrests, all of the drug seizures, all of the asset forfeitures, all of that is data that's, that is transmitted to the Department of Justice. Now how you want to flush out that data is another story.
1: Okay, well Al it's let me ask yet. you that I, now, Al, is based on you, uh, were there are some experiences of people that you encounter, uh, maybe even yourself, that you would say that these people actually need to be in jail? Oh sure, a whole lot of people. <laughs> a whole lot of people. What percentage what percentage would oh. you say in your encounters would you say actually need to be in
7: jail? How about Twenty percent. Oh, only twenty percent. Yeah, you know mm. that I ran around with.
1: You know. Mm. Okay. And the other eighty percent, they just uh, economics was had yeah, exactly. in that lifestyle. Right. So again, the 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 topic basically of our uh, program was uh, a pimp and a hustler and what it has to do with economics. Um, could each one of you I, address that even though... That.
7: Pardon? And I answered that question. I told you mm-hmm. each individual that pump in the hustler, hustler uh, was a survivor for making money. And, uh, you know, I told you that I started temping when I was 16, but really it was about 15 or 14 because, uh, to be frank with you, if you want to say child abuse, I was abused, if that's what you want to do, with money, love, and everything else from a white woman, about 36 years old, and I was about 14, and she kept me for about a year. Well, so that's let me when I really was question.
1: Question. How do you decide the difference between a good criminal and a bad criminal? Or is there such a thing? I mean, uh, Ms. Huff, Sadir,
9: um, is, is yeah,
2: there
9: such a thing as... I don't think there is a good criminal or a bad criminal. I think there is a degree of criminality. I think that there needs to be a look. Why you see the prisons filled with our, uh, our black men and black women and people of color, you know, for small offenses, nonviolent offenses because of the sensitivity that needs to be given once the case is before the judge and how it is presented to the judge. So, again, we are going back to institutionalized racism. So Mm
5: -hmm.
9: how you can never expect a justice system that was never created for the man or woman of color to have a sympathetic ear or sensitivity to the man or woman of color who might have had uh, come from a background where there is no economic opportunities, where there is no uh, social um, support or anything that's given to that community where that individual came from to understand, well, I'm, you know, I understand that I'm selling drugs and it's against the law, but I needed to see my family, I needed to eat. That is not a consideration. The law is black and white and is very clear. If you do this crime, this is the time that is associated with it. And if it's presented to the judge in such a manner, then the judge only has to officiate and give the verdict and adjudicate the case and give a sentencing accordingly.
1: Well, uh, Sadir, is that a fair question to you? Is there such a thing as a good criminal or a bad criminal, and is there a difference based on your experience as gang leader for a day?
10: Yeah, I think it's a difficult question because um, let me give you an example. You know who Fred Hampton, Jr. was?
1: Of course. Yes, I do.
10: (laughs) I figured you did. Now, (laughs) you remember what happened to the Black Panthers um, some 50 years ago when they started running breakfast programs and health clinics, right, the city of Chicago in Illinois or in Oakland, the city government? Tried to use all sorts of uh, laws to criminalize them by saying they didn't, you know, the the breakfast programs wasn't up to health code or they didn't have a license to operate. So here are some people trying to provide for their community because no one else will. The federal government has neglected them. And then the government comes back and says they're criminals. Now, fast forward 50 years, you're in a neighborhood, let me just say you're at 58th and Prairie or somewhere on the south side of Chicago, or maybe you're at 135th and Lenox in Harlem, New York. Government is not taking care of your neighborhood. So you've got a group of guys in the corner who take care of your neighborhood. They may help older people. They may run some errands. They may also be hustling on the corner. Now, are they a good criminal or a bad criminal? Well, I guess it depends what they're doing. I guess it depends what time of day. Now, it's very easy to just look at these people and say, well, they're bad criminals. We should lock them up. But from the standpoint of people in the neighborhood, they might need them. So I think it's a very difficult question, and it's just too easy to make a moral judgment.
6: Okay,
1: well, this is where we go. As we end getting ready to end our program, uh, Ms. Huff, I would like for you to... uh, if you can, give your final re- re- remarks, and then, uh, Mr. Wynn, I want you to do the same. And, Sadir, I want you to hold on because I want you to address this book about uh, South Street Journal. Um, uh, Ms. Huff, your closing remarks?
2: Yes. And information about your
1: book?
9: Yes. And where we this can get it, things of that nature? Say that again. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, and and, and how we can obtain your book as well.
9: Sure. I'm Yorley Huff, author of The Veil of Victory. The website is www.theveilofvictory.com. And my closing remarks is that the drug situation is exacerbated and it has devastated Um, the black community, and we need to understand the game that's being played and never, never play a game without knowing all the rules. And so never unwillingly allow others to exploit you. Again, I say that everyone has a certain uniqueness that they are here to contribute to this society and that we need to transform ourselves from this unconsciousness to this consciousness and become aware and start to use the power that we have, such as political power. We have the ability to uh, change legislation, to change laws, to fight for our rights, to vote people in who are willing to help aid the egos of the communities that we live in. Mm -hmm. And certainly I do understand the game, the hustle, the streets, Mm -hmm. on all levels. Mm -hmm. All I say is don't fall for the okie doke. Understand the game that you're playing and know the rules of the game. This is chess, not checkers, and so you must be very strategic and very knowledgeable about the game that you play. Because it will cost you your life, and we have no more lives to give. It is time to stand up and fight for what is rightfully ours and what we should be rightfully given as other communities are given,
5: All economics,
1: right. what- Right. Ooh, well, we resource. definitely want you to uh, forward your information uh, to South Street Journal, and I'm pretty sure uh, Sonya have your information uh, so that we can do a story on the content of your book. Uh, so just hold on with us just a little bit. Uh, uh, okay. Al Wynn, what's, what's your closing remarks?
7: Well, you can get my book at... Uh, uh, my email is uh lowercase, Lower I N N O nine at Gmail dot com or you can get me on Facebook dot com and uh you can call me at seven seven three three one five seven oh five eight and uh I'd be glad to get a book to you. Uh listen to me every uh Saturday at one o'clock uh on uh Facebook, uh, you might learn something new. And again, my comment is that I think the young boys it's time for them to give up that game whatever the game they're trying to play because the police is playing a bigger game. And there's more better things they can do than dealing dope or trying to put a gun in their hands. Okay. Well again, I, I definitely want to thank you all. But before
1: Sadir, I think that from uh um, our guest earlier from uh, the the coach. Are you still there?
3: No, he's left the room.
1: Okay. So uh, again, I want to thank you all uh, and Sadir. Um, even you know you wrote three books, and you came to me about three years ago or more and told me that we needed to do a book on uh, South Street Journal. I kind of looked at you like you was crazy, and it took you a while to convince me. But can you give a synopsis of what drove you to want to do that project on South Street Journal and uh, where we're at and what we can expect?
6: Well,
10: sure. Sure. The project is based on the fact that the South Street Journal, as a newspaper, that is now probably what two two decades, twenty years, uh, in the uh, around seventeen
1: seventeen. Said dear, don't put me away up there.
10: That means you're probably thirty six, thirty seven. So um, my 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 belief is that most of the people, even with the interweb, most of the people who are out there log on to the interweb, and they try to get a unique perspective, a unique experience. But, you know, when you look at a a neighborhood, you often don't get the advantage of a South Street Journal newspaper, meaning you don't get the advantage of a grassroots paper that really brings you into the community, in this case the south side of Chicago, like no other can. And so what I wanted to do was to try and document that, So we are building a uh, website where everyone can look at every single issue of the South Street Journal as long as uh, the publisher can get a hold of those issues and we (laughs) can put them in the line. Um, And then we are hoping for a documentary film project and also a book because I always like to use the example, you know, I get called from people in, in Europe saying, how do I find out about the South Side of Chicago? And um, they always say, should I go and read the, should I go and read the Chicago Tribune? And I say, please do not read the Chicago Tribune. But the problem is they don't know where else to go. They need to go to the South Street Journal. And I and I'm hoping to make that project available so that the, um, the the very fame, the very now famous 36 year old editor can uh, can get out there and make his um, contribution known to the wider world. That's my, that's what I'm doing.
1: Well, I was ten years old in 1962 when I lived in uh, Robert Taylor home, So um, I know you're talking about my looks and not my age, and I appreciate that.
10: Well, that's uh, that's all right, man. It's my pleasure, and I appreciate your radio show, man. I, when when are you going to let me come on
1: and be a guest host with you? Well, we definitely need to do that, uh, along with the other guests here. Uh, it definitely has been a, uh, even though we most of us have come from the streets, but listening to the undercover spy, Miss Huff, and the pimp and the hustler on Malcolm X's birthday, and then the gang, uh, uh, the the the, uh, the Indian guy who happens to be a gang leader for a day. Is definitely was a a mixture of stories as we talk about the economics of not only the criminal justice system, but uh, how it's uh, falsely portrayed in the communities, not only outside of the community, but even within the community themselves, uh, getting the wrong message and the wrong. And again, Sadir, uh, I commend you. And seeing the work of South Street Journal, where we have been telling stories like that. We normally don't report crime; we report the uh, the effects of crime and what it has to do with the economic uh, stability of our communities. So yes, we're going to uh, have you on, along with the others, and uh, I'm not going. And then, as I close out. our co-host Sandra Purdue, Sandra Cassandra, wait a minute, Sonya Cassandra Purdue, is a book writer herself. Sonya,
3: absolutely. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I guess we want to thank each of you for being in our room this evening, and uh, it has been exciting. And I always love it when I, and I'll be glad when your book is out, Rob, because I love it uh, when people complete processes. It's it's a great feeling as I'm sure Mr. Wynne knows and Miss Huff knows and Satira. Uh it it is one Cedir. of my book is black. Can I of say that again?
1: You you said Satira. that's our district uh coordinator. His name is Sadir.
3: Sadir, thank you. And Sadir <laughs> knows also. Uh, it is a great feeling completing the process, and uh, he, he's done it three times. So that's, that's wonderful. I hope to do the same thing. Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions is a five-part series, uh, question and answers. Uh, what black America does, ask, answer the tough questions as only they can. Uh, there's 82 questions in the book, and I do hope uh, to travel America asking black America the tough questions. And uh, book five is uh, Black America, Our Questions Answered. So, uh, we've had a few book discussions. I'm not marketing as I should. And we didn't talk about marketing on here, and that's one hell oh, of a yeah, thing. Oh, yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> that's, one, right. that's one hell of a thing. We have to do another show on that. Okay. But uh, I do hope to go forth this next quarter and do uh, quite a bit more marketing. As a matter of fact, Janae, who was here the other day, she's going to take on setting up some book discussions for me. Bless her heart. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that uh, coming forth in the next quarter. And you can visit my website, asking ourselves the tough questions. dot Well, to if order I can, so
1: yeah. I know you're getting ready to go off the air, but probably what we need to do also is when Sadir is in town. Have a book uh, discussion on these three books because it just so happens they all relate, even as they relate to your book. All four books have a close relationship uh, to, to to the life of, in the streets to a great extent. So we need to do that some type of coordinated. And uh, Miss Huff, you are in Chicago as well, is that correct? I am. You are.
9: Yes, I am.
1: Okay, so um, can I give you another assignment,
3: uh, Sonia? Oh, yes, you can, and that will be Thank fine. You. I will keep in contact with Ms. Huff. Uh, her website is the Val, the Val Victory, is that correct, .com? Yes. Okay. And uh, I should be able to contact her on her site, but my number is 312-239-8835. I'm all over Facebook and everywhere else. And my website, Ms. Huff, is chicagosblackbusinessnetwork.com, and I sure do hope you come over and join us. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Well, Ron, we have 60 seconds to close out the show. You got final remarks? Well, we are building up for
1: our next summit, uh, July 9th, but prior to that we're going to have our reception here. The matter of fact, uh, uh Al Wynn, uh June 24th most likely will be the last reception, the last event at Black Wall Street as we are in the process of moving our office. So we definitely invite the uh the listening audience to join us on June 24th at our Black Wall Street Economic Summit on uh June 24th at uh 6 p.m. Uh, followed by July 9th, where we will have the uh, Summit 16. And in Summit 16, it is going to be a tight and intense agenda as we move uh, within our fourth year of Black Wall Street, uh, moving on to our national convention, which is going to be held in Gary, Indiana, of all places. Which is a Thank Black you, Wall Carter. Street district as well.
3: Thank you, Mr. Carter. You listen to Black Wall Street USA on CBN Blog Talk Radio. Our host has been Ron Carter. I'm Sonia Cassandra Purdue, founder of Chicago's Black Business Network. We're here every Thursday evening, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Please join us and be a part of sustaining and increasing Black businesses across the country. Thank each of you for being with us this evening. Good night, all.